We're in a teaching series here that we've been in for several months now on, on my teaching Sundays that we're calling Emotionally Healthy. Uh, this seri series is about becoming an emotionally healthy church made up of emotionally um, healthy people. Thank you. I put one down somewhere. I have no idea where it is. Um, and uh, the reason we, we believe this is important is because we believe Jesus was an emotionally, he was an emotional being and he was emotionally healthy. So if Jesus was an emotional being who was emotionally healthy, then part of becoming uh, more like Jesus as we pursue following him is to become more emotionally mature and increasingly emotionally healthy. So we started this series back in the spring asking this question, what if all of our emotions are places to meet with God? And what if God is already there waiting for us? My prayer for all of us in this series has been, for all of us as individuals, as couples, as households, as a church, is that God would bring us to a place of emotional maturity and emotional health as we follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this time together. We ask that your Holy Spirit guide every word, every thought. Uh, pray that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. To May this be a time of encouragement, challenge and encouragement as we take our next steps forward as followers of Jesus. And God, we just uh, thank you for the things that we've learned, for the conversations that we've had. Thank you for the truth of your word and how it applies to our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back a couple weeks ago, actually on August 11th, uh, we talked about anxiety and depression. And how many of you were here for that? And uh, I know a lot of you that if you missed it, you've been uh, using the podcast and the media player on the website, and I, we appreciate that. And we said that this would be the closer for the series. We said that two sermons ago. And we said that since we've been talking about um, emotional health for you know, nearly six months in this setting, it wouldn't be intellectually honest of us to talk about emotional health without also talking about anxiety and depression. So we decided to tackle this, this heavy topic of anxiety and depression. So just as a disclaimer, which this will be the third time I've given this now, but I have to, um, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm none of that. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been leading in the church in a pastoral role for 30 years, and I've tried to learn from people who have personal experience uh, either working through anxiety and depression themselves or with guiding other people through it. And uh, so I want this to be as helpful as possible, but it's just important for me that you understand kind of where I'm coming from. So to start things off, first things first, um, I want to remind you of something we've said a couple weeks now, and I think it's important to say that when we're talking about anxiety and depression, you are not alone. Have you ever felt like you were the only one on the planet dealing with anxiety or dealing with depression? And, and, and maybe not on the planet, but for sure in the church, right? You must be the only person in the church dealing with this because there's been a stigma in church culture. Like Christians are just supposed to be happy. So we talked about the reality of the numbers and the statistics around anxiety and depression, even in the church. And we talked about some examples from the Bible. And then we talked about a couple different approaches to addressing anxiety and depression. And we leaned heavily into the idea that, um, that for the most part, anxiety and depression are symptoms. For the most part, they're symptoms of something that's going on beneath the surface. And that, yeah, sometimes we need, things, we need medication to help with that, to give us some clarity. But we need that in conjunction with uh, a process, in conjunction with being willing to be part of an ongoing process where we're kind of doing emotional surgery. 
exploring what's under the surface. And we said that oftentimes what's happening under the surface, the things that are driving our anxiety and depression, could be captured in two very broad and somewhat flexible categories, and we just called them sin and struggles. And we worked through this list of some of the most common sins and struggles, and just to kind of get our brains going a little bit on this idea, and, and tried to apply the truth of Scripture to these drivers of anxiety and depression. So in the end, a couple weeks ago, we talked about repentance. And we said that authentic biblical repentance is a life-giving art and it renews the entire soul. That repentance is a returning home that our Heavenly Father has invited us and made a way and is waiting for us to return home. Every night, billions of people climb into bed at night, turn off the light, flip the switch, and go to sleep. They seem to have an off switch. But maybe that's not you. Maybe for you it's more like you climb into bed, you turn off the light, and you lay there. Because your mind refuses to turn off. In fact, for you, when your body slows down, it's like your mind speeds up. Oh. Thoughts start racing through your head. Anxiety starts to kind of descend on you. And your chest gets tightened. You thrash around in bed like somebody's holding a plastic bag over your head. And it's suffocating. And you're counting sheep. That never worked for you. And, and maybe there's nothing wrong with your diet. And there's nothing wrong with your daily rhythm. And there's nothing wrong with your physical health. The problem maybe is just in your mind. and your thought life. Your mental patterns. The way you process information. And it feels like you have no control over what's going on in your mind. And your thought life is like a wild, untamed no man's land. Well, for the last few weeks, we've said that anxiety is usually a symptom. It's usually a symptom of something under the surface, something causing your anxiety. So we have to do the hard, messy, uncomfortable work of getting under the surface and digging up the roots. And after you diagnose the problem, what's causing your anxiety and depression, then we need to dig into our soul and rip out the unhealthy pieces and somehow get everything back in its proper place. So I would argue... This is going to kind of be my point this morning, that the primary battlefield where we win or lose the fight against anxiety and depression is the mind. King Solomon said himself, he says, worry weighs a person down. So anxiety is in the mind, it's a mental battle. Depression is more emotional, it's really at a soul level, but they are, they are uh, undeniably linked because how you think influences how you feel. Mm -hmm. We get anxious when, you're, when our mind's out of control, when you can't stop thinking about the what-ifs. Anxiety hits when you're thinking about the future and not the present. When you're thinking about yourself and not God. <coughs> when you're thinking about what could go wrong, not what's going right. So a few weeks ago we said that we need to learn to control our thoughts or our thoughts will control us. In other words, we need to learn to think about what we think about. We need to think about what we think about. I know it sounds a little bit like, I don't know, I don't know if it's Yoda or Mr. 
I don't know who, I don't know whose advice that is, but uh, you can just credit me with that, I guess. <laughs> our feelings are, and emotions are the products of our thoughts. I know who it is. It's Mr. Miyagi. That's who it is. But anyway, um, <laughs> most people are very, and I was close, but most people are very in tune with how they feel, but oblivious to how they think. So let me ask you a question. Is your mind a safe haven where God's word and his peace is in control? Or is your mind a lawless wild west where, every, where just anything goes? Do, do you give mental real estate to every fear, every what if, every anxiety? And are ungodly, negative, unproductive, destructive thoughts free to roam and wreak havoc on your soul? Psalm 139, uh, the, uh, the psalmist David says this. This is a prayer. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David, the warrior poet king, asked God to probe deep into his heart. And by that he meant thoughts, mental patterns, and thinking and test him. He's asking God to bring to the surface mental habits that need to die. Questions, habits, patterns, ruts, ways of viewing the world, ways of processing information that suppress his mental lungs from taking a fresh, deep breath of fresh air. When was the last time that you asked God to test your mind? To show you areas where your thought life was out of sync with God's truth. We need to take the time to stop and to breathe and to quiet the noise and to ask God to test our thought life. And when God speaks, we need to confess, and we need to repent, and we need to ask him to break our mind out of the ruts that our brain just keeps getting sucked back into. It's because the problem with ruts is once you're out, it's easy to slip right back in. Mental patterns are really hard to break, and by really hard, I mean really hard. And if you want to be free, you have to fight for that. You have to fight for your life. These verses that we've referenced a few times now in this series, especially in the last couple of weeks, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, where the Apostle Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of, this, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now make no mistake, listen, we are in a war. Yeah, the culture and the world. No, no, it's not what I'm talking about. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. Manifests itself in the privacy of our minds many times. There are real enemies that we face. I think the entire universe is caught up in a historic struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. That's kind of what it boils down to. You know, the principalities and powers and sins and temptations and evil, those are the real enemies we face every day. And there are areas where the enemy, that's just a junk drawer way of saying, you know, all the above, but builds strongholds. And strongholds are where the enemy's in control, not God. There are places in our lives where our power to fight sins and temptation is crippled, where we are imprisoned by warped ways of living and flawed ways of seeing the world. So for some people, anxiety and depression are struggles. For others, they are strongholds. 
fighting anxiety and depression as strongholds, that's spiritual warfare at its most intense. It's why Paul goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So he says, we fight back. We rip down strongholds. He uses the word demolish. We rip the enemy's strongholds to pieces and we wipe the slate clean. How? Paul's answer is brilliant. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. We fight the enemy in the arena of the mind and we take back control of mental patterns and thoughts. And we push our thoughts and our imaginations out of the ruts of worry and anxiety and lust and doubt and onto the path of trust and hope and purity and faith. Here's a tangible example. A thought of worry comes into your mind. What if I lose my job? What if we're downsized? What if it actually happens? What if I fail at this thing that I'm doing? What if she rejects me? What if I get a bad diagnosis? Any of those kinds of things, you have two options. Option A is to give in to the thought and it pushes into anxiety and before you know it, you are knee deep in depression. Option B is you take that thought captive and you, can tr you get to have control over your mind and every thought in your mind needs to be filtered through obedience to Jesus. So there are two main ways that we fight uh, to control our minds, and thankfully we're not just left alone to figure this out. A tremendous amount of prayer, number one, and a huge unending supply of the Word of God. So about the time that you think that you got the entire Bible figured out and memorized, you start again. The first weapon that we fight uh, mental strongholds with is prayer. Prayer is, yes, it's talking to God. Prayer is also listening to God. Prayer is making requests from the God who spoke the universe into existence. And prayer changes reality. Prayer rips open prisons, breaks off chains, and throws open new doors. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. You're like, easy for you to say, Paul. Yeah until you remember where he's writing this from, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think you could rephrase Paul's words here. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God for anything. And he starts with a command which is be anxious for nothing because anxiety is the opposite of trust. And when thoughts of fear enter your mind, those what-ifs, God calls you to pray about your fears. So turn your anxieties into prayers. Repurpose your fears and your worries and your dreads into prayer. Paul says, and then do that with thanksgiving. And inside those prayers, we thank God for what we know is true. Paul continues, and he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, so it makes no logical sense, will guard your hearts and your minds. Don't you love that? In Christ Jesus. See, we tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. But God's heart for you is a peace that's known as shalom. That is a complete peace right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the noise of life. So that's a prayer. And the other tool we have to engage in this conflict for control of our minds is the word of God, the scripture. 
God spoke by his word, which has been preserved for us in the Bible, and he speaks by his spirit. So when you connect those two, the Holy Spirit's clarity and illumination and the written word of God, he speaks. God moves. Truth is communicated. And when followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, read and pour over the Scriptures, God enters the hearts of His people. So when you read the Word, you're filling your mind with God's thoughts, with God's imaginations, with God's mental patterns, His way of thinking, and you are drowning out the voice of the enemy with all of his lies and and now finally listening to the voice of truth. Truth is like an oxygen for your mental lungs, all right? We inhale truth into our souls and truth lifts us up and it helps us and it fuels us and it clears us and it propels us into the world. We need lots and lots of truth. And Paul says this, we keep reading in the passage in Philippians 4, finally, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's like a, it's a replacement tactic. We replace thoughts that are false with those that are true. Thoughts that are unhealthy, nervous, incorrect with those that are noble, right, and pure. And by doing that, we rebuild mental patterns on and around God's word at the center We read the scriptures, absorbing God's voice and transforming how we think, and his thoughts become our thoughts. And this is a process, by the way. It's not a simple decision. So that somewhere along the line, when the doctor walks into the room and the look on his face says it's not good, when your spouse walks out on you, when the person you love abandons you, when your job disappears, when money runs out, when the bills start piling up, when the ground falls out from underneath your feet, you have two options. You surrender to anxiety or you fight back with truth. You give in to fear or you wage this war that Paul has challenged us with to control your mind. Hey, a while back um, when I decided that we needed to tackle this topic as part of this series, I asked uh, Jeff, Francis and Amanda Elliott, they're going to come right now, if they would come be a part of this conversation with us, and uh, they said they would. So here they come. Uh, They each bring uh, graduate degrees in mental health fields, along with a consistently biblical worldview, which is really, uh, I just, I find a really engaging combination. Um, They've They've just intentionally developed this view of the world and this view of mental health through a lifetime of following Jesus and through the lens of of God's truth. So I appreciate that. So we've been working on identifying a handful of questions that we feel might um, bring some clarity to this topic and actually add a little bit of moral authority to uh, to talking about this. So so I'm going to address my first question to Amanda. Um, What do we say to somebody who would say, sure, I... I worry about stuff, but I don't have anxiety. So like, where does worry cross the line into anxiety? Yeah, Um, so a helpful way to think about it is when you're worried, you know, you're uneasy about something you're anticipating in the future. And then we also have um, fear, which is gonna be an emotional response to something that's imminent or a perceived threat. So if you're driving in traffic, a car swerves in front of you, you slam on the brakes, you get that you know, your heart's racing, your palms are sweaty, you might feel um, tense, that's going to be fear. But later on, after, you know, you kind of, the car drives away, you feel, you're, you're okay. You're like, oh man, that was scary, but I'm fine. 
But with anxiety, our bodies actually do the same thing, but it's a thought of, an, of a threat versus an actual real threat. So the same system can be activated. So kind of as you were talking about when you're laying there in bed and the, f the worries start to go um, and you, you start to get maybe short of breath or mu muscle tension, you know, um, that's how you can kind of tell anxiety is kicking in. So it's helpful to think about, you know, if, is it just worry or is there something more going on? Like are you experiencing um, irritability, muscle tension, um, difficulty concentrating? Uh, so anxiety is going to kind of cover a more broader picture. Mm, yeah. Um, so there are some similarities and some differences. But uh, do you think, is anxiety a choice or is it a result of a choice? Or is worry a choice? What do you think? Um, I think we have a choice not to worry. Okay. And we have a choice with what, how we deal to manage our anxiety. Mm. Um, so we have options that we can use, you know, replacing truth with fear. I mean, excuse me. <laughs> no, not that. Replacing um, uh, yes. <laughs> your Lies fears truth, yes. with truth. Um, <laughs> no, and dealing with the physical symptoms mm -hmm. that you experience. Um, but if someone's kind of crossing to the line where their anxiety is so strong that it's starting to affect um, their work, their relationships, um, that's probably when it's crossing to a more serious issue. Gotcha. Anything to add to that, Jeff? Um, I think that in some instances with um, anxiety, uh, like there could also be like biological things going on mm -hmm. that you're just not aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, and your body's doing things that you don't know, and so it can well, kind of cause let's similar... Talk, let's talk about that. Yeah, um, and so it can cause like similar um, effects um, that you might get with, um, you know, just worrying, you know, mm -hmm. or, or just fear that your, mm -hmm. your body can, can do some weird stuff and it can mm -hmm. cause you to be anxious, um, like, <laughs> I, I there was one example um, a few years ago. I had something that's called costrochondritis. And it was, like, basically it's, like, torn ligament, or not a ligament, mm. but I don't know, muscle pulled in my chest from stretching. Mm. And I just so happened at the same time um, take an you know, drink an energy drink. Mm. And so, you know, I started feeling really... Like, I started sweating. I started feeling anxious. I thought I was having a heart attack. I went to the ER, and they're like, yeah, you basically just pulled a muscle in your chest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. But it feels a lot like yeah. that overwhelming when anxiety kind of descends on you. Yeah, it, it exactly. It feels the same way. Right, right exactly. It right. felt, it felt. you know, you right. ha I had a lot of the physical symptoms, and my mind was racing like mm -hmm. crazy, and it was just something physical that was happening to my so, body. So, so... <laughs> Can we reduce it to, uh, is my anxiety about my circumstances, is it purely physiological, or is it spiritual, or all of the above? Like, how <laughs> do we sort that out? Yeah, I mean, I would, like, I don't think, um, well, I think in it's, it's actually easy to address by not thinking about it in strict terms. Mm. So, mm -hmm. like, um, the model we use in, in the field is the biopsychosocial, spiritual, cultural model. And so if you have anxiety or depression, you actually want to address it in each of these different ways. So biologically, you want to see a doctor, obviously, and, and 
maybe there's a medication that you're taking that's causing it, or maybe there's um, some other physical thing that's happening like that you don't know of, but the doctor is aware of is like, oh, so this causes anxiety, this might cause depression. Mm. Um, and it might be you know, just because of this bacteria in your stomach. Mm. Um, and so th that's the biology, and then obviously the psychology, and so you, you, know, you wanna address the thoughts, like, like we were talking about, the, you know, is, what are the negative thoughts that I'm having? Am I filtering, am, am I making you know, everything, am I filtering everything through like a negative lens? Is, mm. Am I diminishing the positives while you know, increasing the negatives? Um, Am I taking things personally? So if something happens that, you know, doesn't include me, is that, am I just, um, you know, telling a lie to myself that, that it, whatever just happened is all about me and mm -hmm. something wrong that I did? Um, you know, so that's kind of the psychology of it is you're, you're addressing these, you know, the thought patterns and, um, and creating coping skills and ways to, you know, things that you can do within your own mind to, dim to limit the, some of the physiological responses, like telling yourself everything's gonna be okay, taking deep breaths, and maybe that will decrease your heart rate. Um, and then, um, then the social aspect of things, you, especially if you have depression, you, you definitely don't wanna isolate yourself or, or um, take yourself out of society. You wanna, you wanna engage um, and you know, even if you have social anxiety too, that's you know the, one of the best ways to address it is by engaging with people and um, you know exposing yourself to what you might be anxious about. Um, so, and then spiritual, obviously, you know the things that we, you've been discussing, mm -hmm. and then cultural. There, you know, there are cultural reasons for all of this, and I think it's important not necessarily to say, well, it, how do I distinguish between is mm. this a biologically Mm -hmm. induced anxiety is this a psychologically induced anxiety is this a spiritual warfare kind of thing i think it's important to just address it in all of the areas mm -hmm. instead of trying to figure out you know which one it is don't try to distinguish it just address it as though it is spiritual it is psychological mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. um biological you right. know right um sorry that's no that's <laughs> great no that's great no great anything to add to that all right um, well, you were on the on the spiritual side of it when we were talking the other day. You made a statement that just to kind of uh, re release people from um, kind of an I guess an unrealistic expectation, and that when it comes to anxiety, the reason you have might be struggling with anxiety or depression is not because you don't have enough faith. Would you like to elaborate on that? Or was that, you, yeah. you said it the other night, I wrote it down, because I'm like, well, that's really important to communicate, I think, in this setting. Yeah, I, you know? I mean, I think, I think addressing it in that way, especially if someone's dealing with depression, you could just, like, further, like, hurt that. Yeah, you know? yes. Like, it, it's not necessarily going to be helpful to tell yourself you don't have enough faith, as opposed to just engaging with Christ. There you go, yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to, instead of telling yourself, I don't have enough faith, well, how about, instead of that thought, think, well, let's read my Bible, let's pray. You know, mm -hmm. even if I don't necessarily um, come to the point of trust, if I continue to address it and continue to go through the process of building a relationship with Christ, I think he'll bring it with him. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, 
I guess we're talking too about treatment. And regardless of what, like, whatever we attack first, the importance of like, engaging in that process because whatever you, uh, whatever's kind of been growing out of control, if you continue to feed it, will continue to grow. Want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, one thing about anxiety is that it can spread, it can grow. So if you're, you know, doing things that, if you're kind of feeding that anxiety or if your thoughts, kind of like you were saying, your thoughts are spinning out of control, but you're doing nothing to, to stop it, it's probably going to get worse. But if you begin to learn how to manage it, and there's a lot of coping skills and helpful things out there that can help you deal with it. Where would you, where would you steer somebody to find those tools to deal with that, to cope. If yeah. That, yeah. Um, well, as we mentioned, a lot of things can be caused by biological causes, so it's always good to talk to your doctor and you know, be an advocate for yourself in that area. Um, seeing a therapist can be really helpful. There's some Christian counselors in the area, and um, there's tons of resources online. So there's a lot of things out there as you kind of um, start to look. Good. Yeah. So it's okay to experiment a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about um, addressing this idea of uh, or addressing the lies that we believe and replacing them with truth. And, uh, you know, what, what maybe in a more scientific approach might, might look at that as kind of re or rebuilding new kind of neural pathways. And we talk, Paul, the Apostle Paul talk, calls it taking every thought captive, making obedient to Christ. Might, we might be talking about the same thing and using different language. Um, so what are... Um, Let's talk about maybe some of the most common lies that people tend to believe that dri drives our anxiety and, and maybe leads us all the way into depression. Um, like we were talking the other night about the scarcity mindset that I'm not enough. Yeah, I think a lot of it can come down to identity and what we believe about ourselves. Like a lot of people believe they're not enough or, um, you know, they're not worth the help or they just feel like they're so isolated. Um, that they don't reach out and want to connect with other people. And then also it's really important to look for like the overgeneralization. So like hmm. I'm always anxious, I'm always depressed, it's never going to get any better. Hmm. When you start to think that way, it's really um, can be hurtful. So kind of scaling that back to, yes, I'm experiencing anxiety, but I'm, you know, the hmm. Lord is with me, God is there, um, I have my church family, like kind of replacing it with the um, helpful things that you're moving towards healing rather than just saying, rather than the, the thoughts that are stuck. Yeah, and so that we don't lean into that becoming a part of our identity, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it, it sounds like a good concept, this replacing lies with truth, but how do we practically go about doing that? Um, it's not enough to say, well, here's a Bible, read it, yeah. right? Um, do you want to talk about the importance of, like, Especially when, talk, when we're in this context, when we're talking um, about the spiritual side of that, that and, and responding to Paul's instruction in First, Second Corinthians ten, like the role of Scripture and the role of Christian mentors, somebody who can kind of address those specific things in our lives and speak truth to us. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, well, <laughs> the great thing about the Bible is that it gives you the thoughts to ponder. Mm -hmm. You know, and it it gives you. You know, this, through the scriptures, you can like just grab out these verses and, and or these stories and and you know the the message that God is trying to tell you, as opposed to the lies that you're trying to you know that you're trying to tell yourself. Um, I think that um, you know getting obviously, like you said, getting you know finding a mentor. Like you know, you you could see. A Christian 
therapist or you could see a secular therapist but also have a Christian mentor, mm-hmm. you know, someone mm-hmm. that could speak to the spiritual aspect of things. And um, I think it's, it's really important for both anxiety and depression to, to have people that you can confide in, like mm-hmm. say this is what I'm dealing with, um, to have people that will keep you accountable and, and say, you know, maybe even, even interrupt you and be mm-hmm. like, what's your thought right now? Mm-hmm. You know, this just mm-hmm. happened. What, what are you thinking about this? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, is your thought that because one part of it didn't go well, that all of it's bad? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, just having, like, well, one, uh, yeah, a mentor who, who is very knowledgeable and then, mm-hmm someone beside you that maybe they've gone through it themselves mm-hmm. or, or maybe they just know you really well mm-hmm. and know how to mm-hmm. call you out on things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And it, in, another thing that could be helpful is helping someone else. Mm-hmm. And because especially with depression, um, people don't always see their own worth and it's helpful if they, you know, are serving other people because then they start to see, well, I'm worth something to this person. That's good. Yeah, and I think the importance of having the, the voices of other believers in our lives, even in the midst of a, of a, of a battle like this, is um, it's hard sometimes, even in a, on a pursuit of truth, to see it because things get really foggy. Um, and so to have somebody who can identify what's going on in, by asking some questions and then can bring that truth, cut through the fog, and bring the truth of Scripture into your life uh, um, is really, really important. So let me just uh, challenge you with this. If you don't have those people in your life, those people who love you deeply and will say what needs to be said to you um, and will do it through a lens of Scripture, begin right now to establish those relationships. You can't, that's not going to happen in the next seven days, but the first step could happen today, okay? So here's the thing, like when, when you need people, um, that's not necessarily the time to begin reaching out to people. It's reach out to identify those people now, and uh, when the time comes you need their voice, they will be there. Uh, a couple things I wanted to just ask before we wrap this up and is uh, triggers. So anxiety triggers. Um, and for a bunch of people in the room right now, they, they, they're like, oh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Please talk about this. So because this, this is like where we live. So let's talk about... Um, how to identify the triggers, and then how to develop those healthy responses. You want to go first on that? Um, So it's really important to kind of learn to pay attention to um, your body and what's going on. We live in such a high-paced world that we kind of just go, 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 and we don't often take time to reflect on um, what, what our, even what our thoughts are, what we're feeling. So kind of taking some time to slow down and um, look back, you know, when throughout the day, what, maybe your heart started racing faster, you're experiencing muscle tension, um, and try to develop some patterns, maybe where you see this happening, you know, was it after you drank a lot of caffeine, as you mentioned, or um, was it something related to a life stressor, you know, work? Um, was it in traffic? Just kind of trying to be aware of if you start to see patterns like that develop. And then um, also journaling can be really helpful. Even if you're not a person that really likes to write out long um, journals, even just a couple bullet points about you know how you were doing that day, when did you notice your anxiety or different things kicking in can be really helpful um, to help you reflect. That'll start to identify some patterns. So when you look back, it's like, oh, this is happening when this happens, when this happens, when this happens. Um, so that's a couple things. Uh, 
a common um, response to the triggers is to lay in bed at night and stare into the darkness. Got a practical uh, coping mechanism for that or a way to replace that? Any thoughts? Well, I think a, a handful of things can be helpful. Um, there's like, well, one, the, the, the common answer is eat healthy and exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, that... I know, but it's... That, it helps for your brain as yeah. much as your body. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, another one is good sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. You know, c turning off screens or, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, um, you know, do different things that to help you sleep at night, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one one thing that, that I do when, when it's happening to me um is I just kind of control, like I, I put my thoughts into something that's completely like not important to life, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I've, I've talked to Aaron about this. Like one thing that, that's helped me is just like, I've created a world, you know, <laughs> like this, this world in my head that, you know, there's characters and they have their own lives. And, and that's another issue we'll deal with separately. <laughs> Maybe not in a public forum. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when I'm having struggle sleeping, it's, it's not, it takes my mind, you uh -huh, know, instead uh -huh. of mm -hmm. telling my mind to stop thinking about right, this, thing, right. stop, uh, stop, like, stop, stop, stop. It's replacing it with yes. something that's more productive or yeah. more mindful. Yeah, right. And, and well, it's not unlike maybe like reading fiction at night yeah. kind of thing because like, that's, that's what I do. I, I read fiction at night and usually drop my Kindle on my face. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I didn't re retain any of that. Um, but it doesn't matter because it's not important, but I'm ready to sleep. And so um, I think when I talk to people who, do, who struggle with anxiety, nighttime is when it's intensified. And that's why I wanted to talk about that. I'm going to wrap this up. And, and uh, we had a couple other things we we're going to talk about, but we've also discuss the idea of sitting down, having a conversation, and making it available on our podcast. So I think that's what we'll do with a couple of the questions we are going to talk about because we are out of time. But one, I just want you to have kind of one more kind of, uh, this is your closing statement. Uh, the one thing that you would want the person in the room that is, you know, anxiety is a constant battle. Depression is where they find themselves living a lot. What's the one thing um, that you would want to communicate to them this morning? Um, I think reiterating what you said about you not being alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of our struggles in life and our brokenness has come from relationships in the past, whether it's family or people in the past. So it can be scary going forward into relationships. But God also uses the body of Christ and friendships and mentors um, to bring healing. So um, I would encourage you not to let the fears of the past um, pre prevent you from moving forward mm -hmm. into um, healthy and uplifting relationships. That's really good. Thank you. Well, you guys both I know. Have she taken. summarized it really well, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I would say that there are a handful of ways out there to handle anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, primary of which is that Christ is there and Christ knows what you're going through. And, um, and he, he's a miracle worker. So mm. if you think you're, he, he can. He can be what you need, but he's also placed a bunch of things out in this world to help us as well. Mm, you know, um, yeah. there are people who they are professionals in yeah. different areas, yes. whether it be, you know, medication or just, you know, mm -hmm. 
therapy, whatever, uh-huh. um, and friends, family. That's good. There's a number uh, of ways. Uh, no, I just had a thought uh, when you were saying that about sometimes there, there are, there are uh, help, there's help out there that, that the Lord would want you to actually engage in. It reminds me, actually, because you're talking about Jesus being a miracle worker, and, and there are times when he healed people in his ministry on earth where it was instantaneous healing. There's one example, at least, where he used a process. He's like, okay, I'm going to spit in some mud. I'm going to play with it, which is pretty disgusting. Then I'm going to put it on your face. And then when you go wash it off, you're going to be able to see. I don't know why he did that, except that it tells me that sometimes the healing comes through a process. So the miracle that he wants to bring in your life comes through you engaging in a process. So um, not to be uh, afraid of taking those first steps into that. Um, let's call it good for now. We'll continue this conversation maybe a little later on, uh, on, a, on a podcast or something. So thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Give them a hand, would you please? If you've spent uh, any time wrestling with anxiety or depression, if that's kind of been your story, uh, chances are you carry that around kind of as a secret Um, that's hidden from most of the world around you, you think it is anyway. But when you do that, we kind of have to develop our ability to fake it. Because what I mean by that is that most people, I mean, minus your closest friends and maybe some family, would think of you maybe as a happy, optimistic, upbeat kind of person. And it's especially true if you spent much time in the church. So I just want to talk to church people because we're in the church setting today. Because in most of North American church culture, um, anxiety and depression have not been discussed openly. And it certainly hasn't been typical for the church to acknowledge or equip people in the church for this struggle, to acknowledge that maybe this thing is more widespread than we've ever admitted. And maybe the solution isn't judgment. It isn't condescension. It isn't simple cliched answers or a warm, fuzzy experience. You know, how about let's sing an upbeat song? Chances are, if you battle with anxiety and depression, and you've battled this while you've been part of a mainstream church in North America, you've probably been made to feel like you're less than, like you don't measure up, like you aren't quite as godly as some people, like for sure you shouldn't be in certain leadership positions in the church. Let's just back up, because first of all, as a leader in the church for the last 30 years, and for, I've, been, I've been an all-in part of the church my whole life, let me just say this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. I apologize for my own role in contributing to that mindset. And if I could just apologize on behalf of churches everywhere, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that you've been treated, for the way you've been judged, for the way you've been made to feel like you don't measure up, to feel like somehow even in the church you need to perform and pretend and fake your joy. That's not what the church should be. The church is a hospital a place where sick, broken, wounded, flawed people are made new by Jesus. And where you have sick, hurting, messed up people, you have a truckload of problems. But in some crazy kingdom of Jesus way, in the chaos and the tension of all the problems and issues in the church, we find healing and we find rebirth. Jesus built the church as an incubator for growth in his followers' lives. And the New Testament teaching is clear. Jesus is leading the invasion of earth with his, what he called the kingdom of God. And during this process of heaven invading earth, the church is the gathering place. It's the rally 
rallying point for the people of the kingdom to find healing and new life and community and teaching and training for kingdom building. So if you ever wonder, what's the point of the church? Why did Jesus you know, set the church into motion? What's the church for? The church exists right in the middle of the kingdom of Jesus that he ushered in. And Paul calls the church a colony of heaven. The church is a place to refuel, renew ourselves together for the further kingdom living. In fact, the word church in Greek is ekklesia, which it can be translated as a gathering of called out ones. That's exactly what it is, a gathering. The church is where we, the called out ones, the Jesus followers, the kingdom builders, gather to draw strength for the enormous task in front of us every day. And the church should be an integral, essential, non-negotiable part of your spiritual life and vitality. And as messed up as it may be, we need it. The early church father, um, Augustine, said, the church is a whore, but she is still my mother. <laughs> no, Augustine said that. Like he's, the, like, he's the guy. He's the man, okay? In spite of all her flaws, we need her to survive. We need it to thrive. When people are isolated and disconnected from their church family, it's easy for them to, to, to be picked off, for the enemy to come along and pick them off and drag them away. And when you've been pulled away from a church family, sometimes we mistakenly feel safe in our hiding. We disconnect from the people around us and we fake and mask and pretend all day long. But that is, number one, exhausting, not sustainable, and lands us in depression. And when depression comes down hard, we don't know how to cope. We spiral out of control. Things get dark. We sink deeper and deeper into isolation. Jesus calls us and invites us to come out of hiding, to open up, to live in community with one another, to share our struggles with our brothers and sisters around us. Galatians 6, Paul said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to tell you one thing. In order for me to know to carry your burden, you might have to share that burden with me. We might do that with one another. Don't expect the people sitting around you to read your mind and know everything that's going on. Not everybody follows all of your stuff on Facebook, right? right? So we have to talk to one another. All of us have some baggage. We have some, some cargo we lug around. Sometimes we just need to buck up and carry our own load. We don't always need to walk around vomiting out all of our problems and issues on the entire church and dragging everybody down all the time. However, sometimes... We carry burdens, really serious, heavy stuff. And you're not strong enough to carry that alone. When you face struggles and sin and tragedy and grief and loss and disappointment and uncertainty and fear, you need your brothers and sisters to walk with you at your side to help you shoulder the load, bear the weight, keep your head above water. And if we think we're strong enough, we think we're tough enough, we're self-reliant enough, we don't need anyone else. We don't need to come out of hiding. We are fools deluded, deceived, brainwashed. God has built us to face life together as a family. Amen. And it's in the moments of transparency, transparency and openness and community that we find healing. Healing takes time. You know, we live in an era of FedEx overnight shipping and UPS real-time tracking and email and text and mobile food ordering and Google instant answers to everything. The world is at our fingertips. And for all of our intelligence and our ingenuity and our brilliance, we remain a violent, hurting people. We don't know how to repair the soul. We never have and we never will. 
No technology, no government, no self-help book has the power to reassemble the broken pieces of the human heart. God is the only hope for the desperate. Jesus told his followers that he came for the sick, the broken, the weak, the flawed people, just like us. And Jesus is in the business of repairing broken people. But healing is not a cheap trick. It takes time to undo the effects of years of sin and abuse and dysfunction, either yours or someone else's. And the greater the wounds, sometimes the longer it takes to heal. And the causes of anxiety and depression are ingrained deep in the patterns and ruts of our lives. And it takes time to wash those out and build new roads towards joy. So when we're in a negative situation, when we're, un, we're unhealthy emotionally and relationally and spiritually, we're, we're always asking the question, how can I get out of this? Right? To be honest, we're asking the wrong question. The right question is, what can I get out of this? Not how, but what? What growth, what depth, what truth, what empathy can I take out of this situation? What character, what maturity, what wisdom can I draw from this war with anxiety, with depression? Emotional health doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey, it's a lifelong process, not a momentary event. God doesn't zap us into spiritually and emotionally healthy people. It's not just pray the right prayer, get the word combination right, and it's like, boom, there it is. He grows and matures and stretches and leads us into becoming the people he intended. For most of us, that's going to involve some pain. Don't run from your pain. Don't try to escape it. This is your story. Drawn back to a verse that I, I, tend to, uh, I tend to shy away from because it's been so overused and misused and misapplied. But, uh, and I just, we blame Christian subculture for that. But the Apostle Paul said these words in Romans 8 and verse 28. He said, God cause, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So I'm just going to say all things, okay? Anxiety. Depression, pain, you're like, God causes that? Let's just back up. Jesus redeems all things. He takes the ugly, sick, evil wounds and turns them into beautiful works of art. That's the story of our lives and that's the story of Jesus. And for us as followers, those stories are intertwined. As crazy as it sounds, if you follow Jesus out of the mess... There comes a day when you'll look back on your years of darkness and you thank God for it. And don't get me wrong, it'll always be a dark memory. But you'll get to a point where the good far outweighs the bad, where God has used your anxiety and your depression in ways that you would never have dreamed. So, and, you, and if you're battling that, you probably don't believe that. But if you're on the other side of it, you're like, that's exactly what happens. I love these verses in Romans 5, and I know I'm going long, and we've got a ton of stuff yet to do, so just get comfortable. Romans 5 says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. It's like, never ask for endurance, but thanks anyway. The endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Hope is indestructible. Hope refuses to give up. Hope never caves in. It never, never walk out on hope because hope is your lifeline. Without it, we are dead in the water. These words by the psalmist in Psalm 27, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait, I say, on the Lord. You have to believe healing is possible in Jesus. Freedom from your prison, this constant battle, it, freedom is possible. 
with a God who makes all things new. For followers of Jesus, the best is always yet to come. You've got to believe that. We've got to hope. Yes, there are days, there are months. For some, there are years of mourning, of sorrow, of darkness. But it's only for a time. It's only for a season of night. There's a light breaking over the horizon. Hope screams at you every day. Hope calls to you, invites you, refuses to give up on you. And over and over, hope says, joy comes in the morning. And I believe the morning's coming soon. Listen to this. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding When power set me free There is a cross that bears the burden Where another died for me There is another in the fire
Cause I know that's where you'll be 